episode is brought to you by the generous support of LawPay, a Texas member benefit provider. Getting paid just got a whole lot easier. Check them out at LawPay.com. That's LawPay.com for more details. And now, on to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the State Bar of Texas podcast. We are recording on-site from the 2022 annual meeting in Houston, Texas. This is your host, Rocky Deer. And joining me now, we have, we have a whole panel of awesome, awesome guests. We've got Judge Janice Berg. We've got Jacob Cohen, Judge Gloria Lopez, and Alicia Palmer. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you. you for having Thank us. you for having us. See, you can hear it. They're fun. Can't you hear the fun in the voices? <laughs> this is so cool. So... You guys had a panel today. We were talking about what every young lawyer needs to know about family law. And that's why we have a couple of judges on here as well to kind of give that perspective. Before we get into the topic itself, let's let's hear a little bit more about each of our guests. So Judge Berg, let's start with you. Tell us what you do and where you do it. I am the presiding judge of the 247th District Court here in Harris County. That's a family court bench and I do family cases all day long. I've been licensed since 2008 and a judge since 2019. Presiding judge, that sounds very hoity-toity. I'm just, I'm just telling you. All right, Judge Lopez, tell us about you. Are you hoity-toity? Absolutely. Yes, we need Presiding judge of the 308th Family District Court here in Harris County, Texas. Board certified in family law. Also with Judge Berg, went on the bench on January 1st, 2019. Very cool. All right, Alicia, how about you? I'm an associate attorney at Kelly Elfrich PC. I've been licensed to practice law in the state of Texas since 2015, and I'm not originally from Texas. I'm from Arizona, so I'm a transplant. We'll forgive you. That's okay. <laughs> we'll welcome you anyway. Oh, my turn? Yes. My Jacob. name is Jacob Cohen. I'm an attorney at the Rainwater Firm here in Houston, Texas. Um, and I've been licensed to practice law in the state of Texas for going on 10 years or so, all, all exclusively in the area of family law. So it sounds like... If I'm if I'm hearing this correctly, you are all yourselves young lawyers, even though even though we got a couple of judges and you guys are on panels and all big, big overachievers. It sounds like you guys yourselves are young lawyers. So was this panel really you giving your own experiences or were you trying to get brand new lawyers to kind of understand why they might want to go into family law? Let's maybe talk about. So, Alicia, you want to start us off on that? What's, sure. What was the purpose of the panel, really? So I think the purpose of the panel and I'll throw it to my other panel members and see if they agree with me, was to give tips to new lawyers and who are interested in entering into the realm of family law on things that they can look out for to try to avoid mistakes. And some of the things that we've learned in our own practice, and I do still consider myself a young lawyer. I, lawyer, I know I've been practicing for six and a half years now, but I think that's pretty young still. So just Very, from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, so just to give some tips and feedback on things to look out for and what to avoid. We're going to get to the judges here in just a second, but Jacob, why don't you, why don't you maybe walk us through, you know, in, in your, you said you've been practicing 10 years now, you know, what do you wish you would have known on day one that you now know 10 years later? Oh man, um, that's a, that's a big question because there's, I mean, everything I know now, I wish I would have known then, but I, I would say the biggest thing uh, would have been, <laughs> right, where to start? You know, I wish that I um, knew then that as important as family law is and as important as civil litigation is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be so scary. Um, you will figure it out as long as you have the right, the right mentors to learn from. And as long as you have confidence in yourself, um, you know, you've been through law school, they've taught you how to do the research and writing. Now it's just 
opening up a book and teaching yourself, um, you know, what the law says and then asking questions uh, from, from mentors around you. So mentorship yes, is, is sure. effectively, you're like, look, get a mentor and make it work. So now let's, let's maybe get the judicial perspective, right? You guys, I'm assuming our judges, did you guys both practice family law before you ascended to the bench? Yes, exclusively. Okay, so now that you're, now that you're on, the, on the other side of this, right? What do you think, for, for young lawyers when they come in, what are, what's maybe a mistake or something you want them to avoid doing? Now that, now that you're on that side and you can kind of see from the judge's box, what should young lawyers say, look, I'm, I'm never going to do that because I heard from the judges and they're telling me not to. So Judge Lopez, let's start with you. Never forget about your integrity. Okay, sure. It's really important that your name carry its integrity, that when you have opposing counsels approach you or see your name on pleadings, they think about how positive you are, how ethical you are. There is no client, no mm-hmm. case, and no amount of money that is worth your integrity. Fair enough. Judge Berg? Never go into court without reading your pleadings. That's happened? It has happened. I would say it happens every day Hmm. in Harris County in the 247th District Court. (laughs) Somebody has not read their pleadings. And if you fail to know what it is you've actually asked for, you are likely to lose. Sure. Sure. So the, the writing is important. What, what made each of you decide on family law as a specialty? So Judge Berg, we ended with you last time. We're going to start with you this time. Sure. I fell into family law after law school. I began working for a lawyer who had a bunch of family law cases. Sure. Uh, I started working on them and began to enjoy the practice. Sure. I liked that it was highly rule-based, and I liked dealing with the clients, uh, helping clients, sure. and from there, got into more advanced issues, started doing family law appeals, and then I was on a roll. Sounds like you were on the honor roll, is what you're telling <laughs> me. All right. Judge Lopez, how did you, how did you fall into this, or did I- you fall into it? I did. I, I actually practice uh, personal injury pro- uh, straight out of law school. I was doing toxic tort and personal injury. Okay. But the paralegal that was my paralegal at that law firm had a CPS case filed against her. And my oh, boss. Oh, her personally? Yes, okay. her children. And it, she was a hot mess, naturally. <laughs> and my boss said, this is our work family, so you are going to represent her for free. I've never done family law before that day. That had to be scary. It was scary, but also very motivating because clearly we cared about our sure. work family and that paralegal. And when I went into that courtroom, I fell in love with family law, mm-hmm. which was child welfare, CPS cases. And after that, I started learning more about other parts of family and I quit that law firm and I started working at a family law firm. Interesting. Okay. Alicia, how about you? So I actually started off my law practice in immigration and okay. there was a lot of overlap. Surprisingly, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of overlap between immigration and family law issues. Sure. So I naturally had to 
become accustomed to reading the family code and trying to figure out these other issues that were impacting my clients in immigration. And when I started to do that and have cases in court, I realized that family law was more of my calling. So I decided to make that transition to be a family law attorney and leave immigration behind. I kind of dabbled in it for a little while after I started with family law, but now I exclusively do family law cases. Jacob, your turn. My mom had gone to law school when I was a sophomore in high school. And okay. so she went into family law. And by the time I was getting ready to go to law school, she had helped me get a clerkship for a family lawyer who she rented office space from. Got it. One of the other lawyers that also rented office space in that office suite, um, who we were friendly with, became an associate judge in one of the Harris County courts. And when I graduated law school, I sought out his advice you know, for networking if he knew of any uh, lawyers that needed um, assistance, and it was, and he connected me actually. Then that was 2011 with Kelly Fritch, who's actually Alicia's boss right now. Got it. So okay. that's how I got into family law. Well, now, now let's. This is my impression as a non-family practitioner. I've, I've dabbled in one or two cases, right? And so, what what I, what I noticed about it from my perspective was, it's it's a real challenge not to get emotionally involved in every case that comes into your door. So if you're if you, if you could look back and, you know, you, you had to advise your younger self or if you're advising young lawyers now, how do you how do you think they need to kind of create that that barrier so that they don't take it home with them? You know, they, they kind of maintain their professional composure. So, Judge Lopez, do you want to start us out on that? Sure. I think it's important to create a boundary. And, and this goes to just uh, personally, you have to create a boundary and make sure you don't take your work home with you. Sure. That way it doesn't affect you and it doesn't affect your family and your children. But also it's important to realize that that opposing, opposing counsel is advocating for their client. Sure. They're not exactly your adversary. They're not the spouse that you're fighting against. So try not to take that personally. The minute that you do, then things start unraveling and could possibly become a lot more unprofessional and unkind, and that's not your goal when you advocate for your client. Jacob, let's, let's turn to you next. You know, I think it's a tough question because I think to an extent, at least as a, as a, as a practicing family law litigator, it, it's kind of helpful sometimes to take some of what's happening to your client personally, depending on the circumstances, so that you kind of have that fuel and motivation to really do a good job for, for that person. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you have to make yourself remember that, you know, you go home to your family, the things that are happening to them are not happening to you. Um, so that, so that, you know, it's, it's your profession. You've got to really be able to, um, turn it on and turn it off. And if that means you've got to go, before you go home, you've got to go run around Memorial Park for an hour, or you've got to go, you know, hit golf balls, or you've got to go read a book or meditate or whatever. Sure. Um, I think I think it's important to have some kind of an outlet um, to help you sort of get that emotion out. Judge Berg, we're going to turn to you next. Sure. I think especially given how interconnected we are <clears throat> with email and cell phones. And in this Zoom world, as a practitioner, I didn't have to deal with Zoom. Right. But I did, for convenience, want my clients to have my cell phone. Mm -hmm. And that was a blessing and a curse. It meant that I didn't have to be tied to the office. 
But I had to remember that my clients were still clients Mm -hmm. when they were calling me. Um, And one of the things that I did was I changed the name, the contact name. Everybody's first name, if they were my client, was client. Got it. Okay. And when my phone rang and it said client, I didn't answer it after a certain hour. Uh, I asked my clients when I gave them my cell phone number, I said, this is my personal cell phone number, but... I'm not going to answer it when it's not a work, when we're outside of work hours. Mm. And I thought that that was important. I know a lot of people want to be disconnected from their office and that's a good thing, but make sure you keep those boundaries on your devices. Okay, fair enough. Alicia, you get to, you get to round this one out. Yeah, so. and I agree with everything everybody already said, <laughs> but I would also add that it is important, like Jacob was mentioning, to have empathy. I think that's an important part of our practice because we are dealing with people who are really struggling and going through difficult times in their lives. Sure. Um, but leaving your work at home, leaving your work at work and not sure. taking it home right. is what I meant to say, <laughs> is really important so that your family also doesn't suffer the impacts of what everybody else that you're working with is going through. So I do think that If a client does have your cell phone number, making sure that they know that you already set out beforehand what the boundaries are. And like Judge Berg mentioned, they know, please don't call me after five o'clock. These are business hours, even though this is my cell phone. I have a family as well. So being upfront with your clients at the get-go is really helpful when it comes to setting those boundaries. Now, you guys, you guys had this, and I'm sure, I'm sure the panel had a lot of, a lot of wisdom being (laughs) <laughs> it's the term bandied about, but it's, it's you know, it's, it was a lot of wisdom that, that was that was shared. So, you know, Alicia, we'll start with you on this. What do you think from the panel that you guys had on, on you know, what young lawyers need to know about family law? What was your favorite kind of tidbit of wisdom that you took away from that? My favorite tidbit was just the professional aspect of the panel and how we were talking about professionalism and reminding ourselves that that is the the framework that we need to approach every single case because this is an, an emotional area of law that we practice in, remembering that the person across from you as opposing counsel is your colleague and you need to treat them with respect, treat judges with respect, treat the court staff with respect is really important. And I think that that gets lost sometimes more often than it should. And if we can constantly remind ourselves as young lawyers that at the end of the day, you may have another case with that opposing counsel and you want a reputation that you are going to be ethical and do the right thing. That's very important. Jacob, you're next. I think my favorite topic was was not being afraid uh, to have a hearing. And you'd asked earlier what's something we sure. wish we would have known, you know, on our first day. And if I could answer it again, that's probably what I would say. Because to this day, it still freaks me out to know that I have to go in front of a judge and ask witnesses questions. Am I going to look silly? Am I going to, you know, whatever. But, right, sure. But um, at the end of the day, if your clients can't agree or the parties can't agree or your opposing parties taking an unreasonable position that you know in, that you know in your gut is is not the right outcome for your client or you know it's not in the best interest of the child um, or you don't know what's going to happen so you need a judge you need to put it on the judge sure. um, you just have to go and rip the bandaid off and do it <laughs> and and the other thing is you'll be you'll you'll learn a lot you will be more confident the more you do it and it will it will because as family lawyers, you're you're going to have to go to court eventually, one sure. way or another. Right, right. All right. So now, Judge Lopez, let's maybe turn this to you. What was your your favorite tidbit or your favorite piece of advice? I think my favorite point or advice was 
it's appropriate to tell a judge that they're wrong. Hmm. But you have to do it in such a way that it's not offensive. Sure. <laughs> and that it's productive. You can't just approach a judge and tell them how incredibly dumb they are. And it's impossible <laughs> to understand how they do not know that portion of the statute or the law. Did There's, the voters not know this? When you, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. How did she win? <laughs> but it is important f for your clients. It's important to know that you as a lawyer don't know everything. We have so many statutes we have to take into account. The family code on its own is so large. It's so, it's so complex it's huge, as well. It? There's a whole O'Connor's on it. Exactly. Yes. We have the Texas Rules of Procedure, the Rules of Evidence, so as a judge, it's also important to know that we're not always right. Or sometimes evidence is presented in such a way or an argument is presented in such a way that I didn't receive it as you intended it. Mm. So file your motions to let me know that I was wrong. File your motion to reconsider. If you don't believe that you were eloquent because you're not an orator, you don't speak as well as you write, then take that into consideration. That way I can get it right. The judge's goal is to get it right, not to prove that you're right as an attorney or prove that you're wrong as an attorney. It's to get our rulings correct based on the law. Okay. Well, that, that's, that is very good to hear. Judge Berg, how about you? What was your favorite takeaway? My favorite aspect of our presentation was how many lawyers were in the audience who are not young and who are not new <laughs> at this, who seemed really to appreciate going back to the basics sure. and remembering the things that we all know or wish we knew as young lawyers that really are the same things we need to remind ourselves about every day that we practice. Whether it's looking at the lawyer's creed when you feel frazzled or being upfront with your clients or with the judge. I liked that it wasn't just for young lawyers. I'm, I'm kind of wishing I could have been in on that because it, it, like it sounds like a great panel. I, I guess one, one final question for everybody before we wrap up. And again, we could, we could talk for a long time because you guys are fun. But, you know, I, I think th there, there may be one, one question that's, that's always, and this is not just family law. This is lawyers in all practice areas, anybody who litigates. You know, we've talked about the lawyer's creed. We've talked about, you know, civility, your reputation. What do you do, though, when your opposing counsel is violating all of those things? They're not living up to the creed. They're, they're taking their case too personally. They're doing all these things that we're told not to do, and yet they're winning. They're getting ahead. You know, there's been no consequence. You know, they're, they're making sidebar comments during closing argument. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience. But, you know, it, they do these things, and there's, there's no consequence. How, how do we as practitioners kind of keep ourselves centered when something like that is happening. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the judges for their perspective, but I'm going to save the judges for the end. So, you know, Alicia, let's start with you. How do you, how do you keep yourself grounded and focused when something like that happens? That's a really tough question because that's a very difficult thing to deal with. It is. Especially when your client is looking at you like they are getting away with murder. What are you going to do that's with, precisely about that? It. Yeah. Um, so I always remind my client that the facts are the facts in the case, and we, my job is to present the facts in such a way that we can get a favorable ruling. So even if opposing counsel is being underhanded or not doing what they're supposed to do, I'm still going to go into court with my integrity and present the facts in such a way that hopefully we have a positive outcome. And 
I really try my best not to stoop down to another person's level if I don't feel I'm being treated with respect. But at some point, it is important. I, I have no problem calling the opposing counsel out if I don't believe that they're behaving in a manner that is um, respectable, really, because we all are colleagues, and I will pick up the phone and have a conversation with that person or ask if we can meet for lunch or just try to have a dialogue and try to figure out what the underlying issue is because at the end of the day we're all just doing a job and if we can be human with each other and just get on each other's level sometimes sure. those disputes can be resolved okay well good good jacob you know it's the the question sort of a similar question came up during the panel and it was um what i'd said then was and what i what i still believe is that You've got to take the high road as hard as it can be at times when your opposing counsel is acting a fool and <laughs> spouting off all of these unreasonable things and rude things. And you've got to remind your client and remind yourself that these litigations, especially the ones dealing with higher net worth estates and a divorce, are, are marathons. They're not sprints. Like Alicia said, the facts are the facts. And especially judges like Judge Berg and Judge Lopez when they're doing things like that in front of them, they're not going to let that go on for very long mm. because they're very astute at knowing, well, wait a second. And they also know what the law is. So some of that will only get you so far. A lot of it is posturing, I think. And sure. a lot of it is also could be your opposing counsel may not really know what they're doing. So to make up for it, they have to act like a big, you know, sure. tough person and, right. and, and show out for their client. At the end of the day, you know, you just have to stay the course, try your case you know, work up the file the way you know how to and, and don't lose your head over it. Judges, what do you want to see when something like that happens? So Judge Berg, we'll start with you. It may seem like there are no consequences, but karma is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess what I would say is a lot of this comes up when we're dealing with self-represented litigants. Right. And as the as the judge, what Jacob said is absolutely true. You have to take the high road. And there's nothing that makes your case more difficult for the court when you come in harboring your grudges against counsel on the other side. Um, just remember that it is a long game. Uh, mm. Your reputation is your career. And there ultimately are things courts can do. I like to think that in my court, when you're not following the rules, you will have a consequence. I'm a big believer in applying the discovery rules equally to everybody and actually relying on those policies to make sure that justice is done. Sure. And you shouldn't leave court thinking that there were absolutely no consequences for bad behavior. And hopefully the court that you're in will help to guard against those sure. sorts of injustices. Judge Lopez, take us home. My answer is twofold. Outside of the courtroom, especially in circumstances with self-represented litigants, sometimes it's best not to respond at all. Hmm. Um, it's not necessary to respond or to reply to a lengthy email for somebody telling you how terrible your client is or complaining about certain things, especially if it doesn't help your case. Silence is best at times. But in the courtroom, there are consequences. While your clients may feel like there isn't in that moment, but the court is very astute. It is your responsibility as a lawyer to make sure there is dignity within the court and the justice system. And I, as a judge, I make sure that everybody make, 
carries that dignity and addresses the court regardless of who you are and what the problem is in a respectful manner. And I've told people and lawyers as well, it, it's not about you liking me or disliking me personally. It's about you respecting this court because it's not my court. It's, you know, I'm presiding over this bench, but you have to respect this process. All great advice, all of it, but it does look like we reached the end of this particular program. I want to I want to thank you all for joining us today, but before we before we close out, if anybody wants to get in touch, anybody has questions, they're curious about family law, if you could tell us quickly how they can get a hold of you and maybe reach you, that would be great. So Jacob, let's start with you. Sure. So it's Jacob Cohen at The Rainwater Firm, and if you you Google the Rainwater Firm, and I'm saying it that way because the actual web address escapes me. Don't tell my boss, um, <laughs> or don't let her listen to that, that I don't know the web address. But you Google the Rainwater Firm, and you'll find us. It's it's uh, Charlotte Rainwater and Jacob Cohen, and our office number is area code 713-337-5000. And my personal email address is jacob at rainwaterfamilylaw.legal. Nice. Okay. Alicia. So I am with Kelly Elfrich, PC, and our office number is 713-869-2900. And my personal email address is Alicia, it's A-L-I-C-I-A, at Fritch. And I'm going to spell that because everybody <laughs> always spells it wrong. It's F-R-I-T-S-C-H, familylaw.com. Wonderful. Judge Lopez? You can email me at Gloria underscore Lopez at J-U-S-T-E-X dot net. And Judge Berg. You can email me at Janice underscore Berg at J-U-S-T-E-X dot net. I'm seeing a pattern between these two. (laughs) (laughs) That is all the time we have for this episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast, brought to you by LawPay. Thank you again, LawPay. You're awesome. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or better yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Rocky Deer. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>